on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. There's an important question found in the Bible. It's a question asked by Jesus. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? It's a key question for each of us to answer. Who really is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Some years back, the famous British writer C.S. Lewis said that many people regard Jesus as a good teacher. I find that even today, that people regard Jesus as a good teacher, even a great teacher. I mean, think of some of Jesus' teachings. For example, he gave the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus also taught, love your neighbor as yourself and turn the other cheek. Many, many good teachings indeed. So when people say that Jesus was a good teacher, they're not completely wrong. But here's where they do go wrong. When someone says Jesus is merely a good teacher, they're putting him generally in the same category as other famous teachers, like Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed or any number of religious teachers in history. C.S. Lewis made this point. No one can really say Jesus is a good teacher because Jesus taught that he was equal to God. Jesus made himself equal to Yahweh, the Old Testament Jewish name for God. Jesus also claimed that he had the authority to forgive people their sins. I mean, who can forgive sins but God himself? And on top of all that, Jesus declared that after he died, he would rise again from the dead. He would rise on the third day, that his physical body would come back to life. Any of those are wild or even crazy claims for any good teacher to make. To the best of my knowledge, no good teacher in human history ever made those kind of claims for themselves. I mean, Buddha never claimed to be equal to God or called himself God, nor did Confucius or Mohammed. So C.S. Lewis observed this, Either we have to conclude that Jesus is indeed who he said he was, namely God, or we have to conclude that Jesus was a liar, that he was going about deceiving people, or maybe that he suffered from some delusional thinking, thinking in a deluded way that he was God. Here's the conclusion we're forced to make. Either Jesus is a deceiver, or he's deluded, or else Jesus is indeed God. In this episode, we're covering some of the basics of the person of Jesus, who he was and is today. The three main branches of Christianity, that is, Roman Catholicism, Protestantism, and Eastern Orthodoxy, All three branches agree on the basics about the person of Jesus. Now, those three branches disagree on the work of Jesus, how Jesus saves us from our sins, but about the person of Jesus, his being, they generally are in agreement. Their agreement is summarized in this line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, God the Father's only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, church historians have concluded that that creed was formed around 130 A.D., at least the beginnings of that creed, about a hundred years after Jesus went back to heaven. 
The churches back then were in full agreement that Jesus is the Christ. That's the Hebrew word for Messiah, the anointed one. That Jesus also is God the Father's only begotten Son. And that this Jesus is our Lord, that is, our divine ruler, our leader. Listen from the scriptures, the book of Acts, how the apostle Peter describes the person of Jesus. Ten days after Jesus went up to heaven, Peter was preaching to a crowd in Jerusalem. And he said this to his Jewish countrymen, quote, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's from Acts chapter 2. In the next chapter, Acts 3, we read about a crippled man healed by the power of Jesus. Many people saw this man's healing and others heard him testify about his healing and, and they were shocked. They, they were surprised. Peter says, quote, why does this surprise you? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Peter is referring to Jesus as the holy one and the righteous one. Who can be called that? Who can be called that, the, the holy one and the righteous one? Who in the Bible is perfectly holy in themselves? Who is fully righteous in themselves? It's only Jesus. Only Jesus is fully holy and righteous, as fully holy and righteous as God himself. In those verses, Peter also refers to Jesus as the author of life. The author of life. Now, you wouldn't call any ordinary human being this, not even a very powerful human or a very godly human. That description of Jesus as the author of life is echoing what the Apostle John writes in the first chapter of his gospel. Quote, In the beginning was the Word. That's John's word for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. John saying in the very beginning there was Jesus. Oh, back then at the time of creation, he was not yet given the name Jesus. That name was given to him by his uh, earthly mother and his legal father when he was born. But before he was born, long before, before he took on a human nature, he was, says John, with God. With God in the very beginning. And not only was he with God, but John says he was God. John goes on to say this about Jesus in John 1, verse 14, quote, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten who came from the Father. And John adds this later, chapter 1, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, the only begotten, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So the Bible teaches that in the beginning, even from eternity, there was both God the Father and God the Son. God the Father who was the begetter and God the Son who was the begotten. Now you know, fathers and sons always share the same nature. They're of the same stuff, of the same 
essence, be it among animals or among humans. For example, a a father horse will produce a son horse. A horse will never produce a sheep or a goat. And so, too, a human father will always produce a human son. So what does a divine father produce? Well, obviously, a divine son. The Son of God, whose later name Jesus, is indeed of the same essence, of the same stuff, as God the Father. Now, God the Father didn't produce the Son by a biological process of conception. No. The biblical wording is this, that God the Father has eternally begotten God the Son. That's the special word used in the Bible to refer to Jesus, the only begotten Son. Now, think of it for a moment. We who trust in Jesus, we are also said to be sons of God and daughters of God. But that's by adoption, by spiritual adoption. Jesus, however, is the Son of God in his very nature, in his very essence. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the only begotten Son, whereas we are God's adopted children. So, just as God the Father is fully and truly divine, so the Son, God the Son, is fully and truly divine. We read this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, quote, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Son of God is the exact representation of God's being. The writer adds a few verses later that God spoke this way about his Son, quote, About the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. God the Father, speaking about his Son, the Father speaking of his Son, also as God. Your throne, O God, will last forever. Check it out. Hebrews 1, verse, well, what is that verse? Later in the chapter. Based on Bible verses such as these, and we could quote many, many more, the historic church has concluded that the Father and the Son are of the same divine nature. They share in the same divine attributes and characteristics. Now, I suppose this could seem a bit like theological trivia. You know, trivia, though it's interesting, doesn't have much practical value. But with this teaching, these biblical teachings, there is indeed much practical value. Much practical value about who Jesus is in his person, in his being. Let me give one practical example. You know, today there are several cults, religious groups, which claim that Jesus is less than God the Son. In fact, much less. Two of these cults are fairly well known by most people, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Both groups, both religious cults, say that Jesus was created. Jesus from eternity was not equal to God the Father. He was not of the same stuff as the Father, but Jesus is rather a creature, a created being. Jehovah's Witnesses, let me take them for example. They used to knock on people's doors, but that was more before COVID. I'm finding nowadays they tend to wheel out a cart with with books, pamphlets on a public place. Years ago, I had a team of Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door, even though they knew I was a pastor. I always thought that they had great courage to actually come to a pastor's home and to engage him in dialogue. And in fact, I agreed to meet with them, not just once, but for several weeks, hoping to understand more of their beliefs. 
So they came to my home, and over the weeks we went through some of their materials. And I, I admire how the materials are printed in nice glossy colors with nice illustrations of Jesus going about doing miracles and showing compassion on people. Today you'll see them standing next to their literature carts. There'll be a sign above the cart that says, Free Bible Study. Free Bible Study. And if you talk to them, they'll offer to come to your home and have a one-on-one Bible study. Well, I would warn you about doing that. Now, as you sit down with them and as they pull out their materials, you'll find right from the start, they don't ever use materials that are used by other churches. You know, we use a lot of other churches' materials, be it Presbyterian or Baptist or Lutheran, but all of their materials are produced by their headquarters, the Watchtower Society. They even have their own version of the Bible. It used to have a green cover, but nowadays perhaps it's changed color. In that Bible version, the version of the Jehovah's Witnesses, any verse that refers to Jesus being God or being equal to God, each of those verses has been changed somewhat. Why? Because they deny that Jesus is God. They deny that he is divine. They deny that he shares in his Father's nature. Listen to this quote from their website, jw.org, jw.org. Jesus is very precious to Jehovah. Why? Because God created him before everything and everyone else. So Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is also precious to Jehovah because he is the only one Jehovah created directly. That is why he's called the only begotten son, Jesus is also the only one Jehovah used to create all the other things. The JWs then confuse things by asking on their website, how do we know that Jesus and God are not the same person? It's a strange way to word the question. That's not what we teach as Christians. We do not teach that God the Father and God the Son are the same person. Rather, we carefully say that God the Father and God the Son are two distinct divine persons. Two divine persons, not one. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was created by Jehovah and therefore he could not be true God. He's more of a creature. Yes, he's a powerful creature, He's an exalted creature. He's God-like. He's even God-lay, but he's not God. Over against the claims of Jehovah's Witnesses, can you remember in the Bible, in the Gospels, what the Jewish leaders were accusing Jesus of? Do you recall their main accusation against Jesus when he was living among them? Their accusation was this, that Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God, or he claimed to be equal to God. Now, had Jesus not claimed to be God, the Jewish leaders probably would not have demanded his execution. But because he did say he was God many times, or equal to God, they said he was a blasphemer and that he deserved capital punishment. So who is Jesus, biblically speaking, What does the Bible say of his being, his person? Well, way back in early church history, the church leaders studied various Bible verses. And as church history progressed, they found that certain discrepancies were arising. And those discrepancies went on to become false teachings about Jesus. Some were even saying that Jesus was not God, like the Jehovah's Witnesses today. 
Or on the opposite side, some were teaching that Jesus was not truly a man. That, he, that is, he was not a true human being, that he only appeared to be man, say like Superman in the comic books. He only outwardly looks like a man, but if you cut him, he will not bleed human blood. Jesus, however, is true man. And so these church councils, these church assemblies met together to study these things from the Bible. And they particularly were asking this, how is it that Jesus is indeed truly God and at the same time, a true, genuine human being? Over weeks and months, they discussed and debated the various Bible verses on this matter to determine how they could say that Jesus was and is God, and in what sense they could say Jesus was and is human. And here are some of their best conclusions. I'm going to quote from one of the church council meetings. It was held in 451 AD. It's known as the Council of Chalcedon. Quote, Our Lord Jesus Christ is both complete in divinity and complete in humanity, truly God and truly man. He is of one substance. The Greek word used here is homoousios. One substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time, one substance with us, human beings, as regards his humanity, like us in all respects apart from sin. But as regards his humanity, he was born for us and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. He is at the same time Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. Two natures in one person. That's Jesus. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, as well as all historic Protestant churches, agree with those conclusions, along with the majority of the Eastern Orthodox churches. They all agree what the Bible teaches that from eternity the Son of God existed with God the Father, that the Son in his essence was sharing in the same substance as God the Father. And then at a particular time in history, the Son of God was conceived within Mary by the Holy Spirit. Nine months later, this baby was given birth by Mary. Jesus was then named and born as a true human being. One church father even worded it this way, that the Son of God, remaining what he was, namely God, became what he was, was not, that is, a human being. Let me read that again. Remaining what he was, God, Jesus became what he was not, that is, a human being. The Son of God, born of Mary, and through her, he took on human nature with actual human blood and an actual human body and actual human DNA. All truly biblical churches affirm this today. Jesus at the same time is true God and true man. Well, next time we're going to focus particularly on the work of Jesus when Jesus came to this earth. But now let me just make this point about this biblical teaching that Jesus has two distinct natures, God and man, in one person. You see, Jesus' work to save us, Jesus' work of salvation is possible only as he is both human and divine. Let me explain that. You see, if Jesus were only God, only divine, 
Jesus couldn't have really saved us. Why not? Well, because humans had sinned. Adam and Eve, as human beings, had disobeyed God's command. As humans, they sinned against God. Therefore, only a human could ever provide satisfaction for sin before God. Only a genuine human could atone for other human beings. And so it is that if Jesus were not a genuine human being, he could not save us. Humans had sinned, therefore only a human can atone for our sin. But then the opposite is also true. If Jesus were merely a human being, well, what then? We'd be left with another problem. If Jesus were only an ordinary human, let's say a powerful or a very godly human, but generally still a human, Jesus would have been carrying human corruption within himself. Jesus then, like all of us, would have inherited a sinful nature because our sinful natures are passed down through the generations. We all inherit the sin committed by our first parents, Adam and Eve. We're born in that sin. So if Jesus were only a man, no matter how godly or powerful, Jesus could never have perfectly obeyed God because all humans have some imperfection. Jesus could have never perfectly obeyed God. No, he couldn't have because he would have been a man condemned to human corruption. That's why Jesus had to be at the same time divine. Jesus had to be God, to perfectly obey God the Father, to perfectly prove himself righteous. And Jesus did that. And then his righteousness becomes credited to all of us who will trust in him. Both natures are needed by Jesus, both a divine nature and a human nature, to accomplish our salvation. Oh, by the way, already in the Old Testament, that's then seen in the name that he was given or the description. That name is Emmanuel. What does it mean in Hebrew? It means God with us. Jesus is indeed God, and he came to earth as a man to be with us, to save us. No, this is not theological trivia. This goes to the very heart of our salvation. And remember, Jesus is not merely a good teacher. If he's a good teacher, well, then he's not so good because he claimed to be God. He was either deceiving us or he was deluded in some way. Or else, as Christians believe, Jesus is indeed who he says he was, God himself come to earth as a true human being to save us from our sins. Who do you say Jesus is? Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Thank you.